If you have your Bibles in front of you, if your fingers work, turn to Acts chapter 8. We learnt a few weeks ago about Philip, Philip the evangelist. And uh, we're going to carry on with some of his story now. Exciting chapter of his life. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, So he started out on his way and he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home he was sitting on his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. When Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man Reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading the passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me please, is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they travelled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, Look, here is some water. Why shouldn't I be baptised? He gave orders to stop the chariot and both Philip and the eunuch got down and into the water and Philip baptised him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared in Azustus and travelled about preaching the gospel in the towns until he reached Caesarea. We've been learning... Um, Learning in the couple of weeks prior to this about evangelism, Cam's been preaching about how to evangelise and the last week we spoke about discipling, being a disciple and discipling others. And it's been some good teaching about the how, how to go about those things. And I guess today I'm not looking at the how, I'm more looking at the why. Why... Why do we evangelise? Why do we bother with discipling? I guess the best answer you can give is that there is a heaven, an eternal future with God that you can be part of, also a hell to avoid. But what about the now? What about this moment in our lives right now where right in our town, in our Samaria, People even in our church now wondering, can God meet me where I am today? Can he come down and see the pain I'm in right now? Can he make a difference in that? Can he bring sense to my world and hope to my hopelessness?
We're going to start in the same place that Philip started. We have the, the map up. Look at the amazing graphics on that. <laughs> Very green in Israel at the moment. Um, we, we assume from the chapter before this that Philip's still in Samaria doing his thing and he's preaching along. Um, so Samaria, if this works. Up here. And the, the angel of the Lord says to go, amongst other things, to go down to, meet, go down to the Jerusalem to Gaza Road. So he goes from here up to there. And the eunuch is here, travels down here, he's on his way home to Ethiopia. So he'll go down past uh, Egypt, down past this way and at home. So the angel of the Lord speaks to Philip and says, go, amongst other things, go, one word. And in one way, isn't that the stuff we we pray for as a as in our quiet times and in our house churches, that we we want God to give us direction, give us leading. All that stuff we yearn to hear, isn't this what we we really want? Guidance. And here, this is is all of that. Philip, Philip, here's the word, go. Go go down to the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. Didn't really know what he was getting himself into. Didn't know who he'd meet. Didn't know what would happen there, you just go. Can switch that off for a minute, Theo? Thanks. Uh, the year 1953, a young Dutchman by the name of Andrew van der someone I can't pronounce his name, but he's known as Brother Andrew. You've probably heard of him. He was. He's known as the God Smuggler. He was involved in smuggling Bibles into communist Russia and and East Berlin and places like that. And at the start of his ministry, when he's feeling called to go to this into this work into the mission field, he uh, he had applied for a position in a college in Glasgow, in a Bible college in Glasgow. Uh, just before he was about to go to that, one of his friends told him that you realise that they'll be speaking English in Glasgow, in Scotland, and you won't know what they're talking about, which was a barrier. And his girlfriend told him that he didn't want much to do with this, this life and this missionary field, so she wouldn't be coming either. And just before, in, in the weeks before he's about to head off, he gets a, a letter that his previous position in the college that they'd held for him has now been cancelled and there's no room for him to go. As well as that, in, in the years prior to this, as a young soldier, he was injured in the Dutch East Indies. He had a bullet to the foot and he was always walking with this limp. And whenever he, his friends asked him out to do something or, or went to go to anything, the, the, the excuse would always be the foot. I can't go, I can't walk properly, I can't. He learnt to ride a bicycle just with one leg. And so when the call that he felt in his life from God to go to this mission field and go to dangerous places of the world, the first answer he said was, no, I can't go, I can't walk properly. 
And, and sitting out in the countryside of, of Holland one day as he sat there and prayed this through and couldn't figure out why, why he felt such a calling to go to this, he made up his mind that he'd no longer use his foot as an excuse. And he felt the quiet word in his heart that just said, go. So he decided then he would, he would go. He would follow God's call. And as he stood up to walk away, he heard this almighty crack in his ankle, his old injury, and he froze. He thought he'd broken something properly. And as he took another step, it, it felt no pain. He took another step and it felt better. And that decision for him to go he healed his, had healed his ankle. You know, I figure there's not much changed in a couple of thousand years, has there? When, for those of us that you've been led by Christ to do something for, for him for in, a, in a mission field or whatever, if you've been led in that direction, you're usually not given much detail, are we? We're not given the whole picture. We're usually just given the first step. And nothing much has changed. We don't get much detail. don't get the full picture. Just get the word go. And the, the divine intervention of this story impresses me. If we could have the map back. So the spirit of the, the angel of God tells Philip to go out of Samaria. But in order to time this right, he's got to go, assuming he's on foot, he's got to walk down here to get to there before the, the Ethiopian leaves Jerusalem on a chariot to get to about here. So it had to be timed perfectly for all this to fall, to, for all this to fall together. As far as the, the Ethiopian is concerned, he's just minding his own business on his way home. But Philip is told to go. Do you ever wonder what happened if Philip had said no to go? No to go. It's a lot easier, isn't it, to say no to something? It, would, it was very easy to say no to this job at 7 o'clock this morning as I lay in bed and it's freezing outside. I thought I'll get going. It's our culture. So much of this is in our culture. It's easier to, to say I've got too much on or it's not convenient. It's too comfortable. It's not my routine. It's easier to say I'm not the right person for the job. I can't speak to people. There's other, plenty of other guys through scripture have made those exact excuses, but Philip made none of them. And without argument and without knowing what was going to happen on the road, he just went. This was quite a detour for, for Philip. He was busy in his, his ministry in Samaria to go all this, this way to meet a, a black man from Africa. And still no complaints. And the, a black man from Africa would have been very black. He would have been one of those really dark, you know, the Sudanese kind of guys. But he was a worshipper of God. According to Jewish customs, that the, the Jewish faith had sort of made its way down to Ethiopia 
could have been a thousand years before this. And the belief system in Ethiopia at the time was of a, a mono, I can't pronounce, monotheic, is that right? Monotheistic God? In other words, we just believe in one God and not hundreds of them like all the other countries around them would have. They believed in one God. And like this eunuch believed in, in the one God to go to, it must have been Jewish culture because he went to Jerusalem to worship. To worship God at the temple in Jerusalem, but there's two things not in his favour. One thing, he's a Gentile, and the other thing, he's a eunuch. The two things that would have excluded him from worship at the temple. And the two things that he's identified here, you know, do you notice he's not named? The two things he's identified with are an Ethiopian and a eunuch. The very things that kept him from being close to God. Now I'm not going to insult your intelligence today to tell you what a eunuch is. Also because I don't want to explain it to you. Um, all jokes aside what was done to this man as probably as a, as a young boy not a man probably well before the age of 10 would have been selected for whatever reason to serve in the, in the Queen's Court or the Candace as the, the Bible says that's not in fact a name it's, the Candace there refers to her title much the same way that the pharaohs had, or the Egypt had pharaohs. Ethiopians had a Candace. And what happens? That was always the queen. It was always the female. The king was considered to be this high, godlike sort of character. And the running of the country and the details was sort of beneath him, you know. So he just got to sit up there and be fed grapes. And can you imagine that life? Go on, imagine it. It's good. <laughs> It'd be all right. I can cope with that. But he was so far above all things, all, all the, the details of running the country, so that the job of those things became the job of the Queen or the Candace. And so the, the, the guys that come into her court were, were obviously had to be eunuchs. So that there'd be no bonsam going on, you know. Stop laughing. <laughs> All jokes aside, this this what happened to this young boy would have been the most painful and humiliating experience of his life. A practice that went on in many countries at the time except for Israel. The, the Old Testament law, Moses' law, completely banned this. Not even with animals. It should never happen, but, but in this guy it did. So we come to the part where the, the two paths meet. Philip travelling down from here, eunuch travelling from Jerusalem on his way home. 
And Philip is about to get a bit more detail in what's going to happen. What's going to happen. As he, as he sees this Ethiopian sitting in his chariot, reading the scriptures of Isaiah, and the Spirit of God tells him to go up to the chariot and just hang out near it. And we're assuming that the chariot is, is stopped at the time and the, the eunuch is sitting there reading. Later on it's moving down the track and we assume that Philip's on there with him, but at the moment we think it's stopped. And this guy is stuck on a piece of scripture that he can't quite get out of his head. He can't work it out. He says, how can, I don't understand this. How can I understand this unless someone explains it to me? You know, we, we can't take for granted that everyone understands the Bible, even the basic stories anymore. Even the stories of Christmas and Easter can't be assumed that people know. How will they know unless it's explained? So we know this passage is about Jesus. We know it's prophesied from Isaiah years ago because we know we've, we've studied this, we've read other books, we've listened. But the eunuch doesn't know this. And so he asked Philip, is Isaiah talking about himself here or is he talking about someone else? And have you ever wondered why he might have been reading this particular passage? A friend of mine preached about this a few years ago and it dawned on me the possible reason why, why this passage might have stuck with him. Why he might have been reading it and trying to work it out. And we, don't, we don't know for sure, we have to use it a bit of our imagination, but have you ever read a portion of the Bible where it just sort of jumps off the page at you? Almost as if it was just for you? If, it, if those, that hasn't happened to you, I, uh, I pray it does. But it's those times when you open the Bible and see if God is ministering directly to your soul. I've had a few of those times when I've opened the, the passage of uh, some passage and it just seems to be truly alive. As if, I know the Bible's written for everybody, but it's as if that one piece of scripture was just written just then and the ink's still wet and it was meant just for me. And maybe, we can only assume maybe that this was one of those times for this Ethiopian man. What if it was just talking to him? What if, what if we read it again with his eyes? What if we, remembering what a eunuch was, was and what happened to them and what the medical procedure that was done to him as a kid? And we read this again with those eyes. Maybe he was speaking directly into his life. Maybe when he read like he was led like a sheep to the slaughter. Like a sheep before the shearer is silent, didn't say anything. In his humiliation, deprived of justice, and his descendants... Who can speak of them? It's something he'll never experience. We should really call this by its proper name, 
We could call this sexual abuse. We could call this physical abuse. We could call it emotional abuse. It fits all three. And even his religion wouldn't let him get close to the God he worshipped. Because of the defect, because of being a Gentile, he was never allowed close to the... Maybe he was allowed in the outer courts of the temple, but that's about it. But God now, out here in this, the middle of the desert on the road to Gaza, somewhere about there, God is about to meet this man's deepest need and heal his broken spirit. In verse 35, we hear, we hear Philip begin to tell the good news about Jesus. Isn't it nice to hear some good news for a change? You know, we don't get much... It must have been the same then as it is now. You know, it's all bad news when you turn the te- television on. Apparently, you know, Britain has left the EU and that's going to cause all sorts of damage. The milk, milk price is terrible, which is, affects my life. It's all bad. Isn't it nice to hear some good news? In our world as it is his. And Philip, starting from this passage of scripture, he said, I, I know this guy who you're reading about. I know who it was. His name is Jesus and he was led like a sheep to the slaughter. In his humiliation, stripped and beaten. He was deprived of justice. They set up this mock trial in the middle of the night. And his descendants, you had none. Da Vinci got it wrong. He had none. But he did start this thing called a church. And by the way, there was about 5,000 added the other day, you know. Who can speak of his descendants? There's a few now. And now he can be part of your life. We don't really know for sure whether this Ethiopian was depressed before the conversation with Philip, but we sure know he wasn't depressed afterwards. We know that after he was baptised and after Philip was taken away, he was filled with great joy, the Bible says. And he went on his way rejoicing. A great weight had been lifted off his shoulders. And Philip, after that journey, after the angel appeared to him, after the, his obedient, obedience to God in his short-term mission trip, God was so pleased with him that he gave him frequent fly miles. <laughs> and so... Vanishing out of sight, went from about there to there, 50 k's down the road. It's one of those things in scripture you just can't explain. Either it's a miracle or it's not. And, and I believe it's a miracle. You can't, you can't argue it out, you can't explain it any other way. It's just, just a miracle. The Ethiopian might have, might have felt like he was speaking to an angel himself. And what gets me is that God went to all this trouble, the calling of Philip out of his daily routine, the meeting in the, in the, in the desert, the baptism, the disappearance. God went to all this trouble just for one guy. Have you thought about that? 
that's really how I approach this job. If I can do all this work and all the homework and all the praying and all the worrying of um, saying the right things and all that stuff, if, if that is all just for one person and it touches some one person's life, then it's been worth the trouble. It's been worth getting out of bed this morning at 7 o'clock when it was cold. And we're left wondering... Could, it really be, could really God send someone or speak through scripture? Could he really reach down in my situation, in my mess, with all my mistakes, in my painful history, could he really reach into that and meet me where I am? Could he go to all of that bother just to meet me in my situation? You know, tradition in Ethiopia says that this guy, this Ethiopian, was the father of Christianity for the nation. There isn't a whole lot of evidence that supports that, but it's a, it's a tradition. It's oral tradition passed down for years and years, so that's how they see it. But isn't that just like God's nature? You think about that for a minute. As, the, as this Ethiopian sits back in his hometown and he grows older... And maybe hundreds of guys would walk past him knowing he brought Christ to their life and affectionately know the guy as father. Isn't that just like God? Isn't that just his sense of humour? Who can speak of his descendants? It's just like God getting the last laugh. Isn't this what... God meant when he said what man had meant for evil I'll completely turn around and use for good. And God would have done it all again if it just meant he could meet one man on that road that was searching for him. The Christian band Jars of Clay in their, in their song Call My Name on their album The Shelter they sing this song, it's about evangelism really and there's one line in it. The song says, take me to the edge of the earth and show me what a life is worth. I remember listening to that line thinking you better be careful what you wish for. Yeah, you'll get this. Why must we evangelise? Why must we disciple it's so that God can reach into our lives like he did that Ethiopian and to other people in our town, in our Samaria and pull them out of despair and give them hope. But what if Philip had said no to go? What if it had just been easier to stay home? Then the story wouldn't have been written. The Ethiopian... You wouldn't have heard about him and I would have got the Sunday off. <laughs> Can we pray?